1: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
2: Diving deep into the Red Sox, it's Red Sox Review. Here's Brian Barrett on WEEI.
0: Oh, and to the bell horn. Laveris deals and Bellhorn takes a sinker low and away. The one-two pitch coming. Laveris with a long set, deals. Swing and a high fly ball deep down the right field. line toward the corner by the pesky Fall. Walker looking up. Road He hit the foul pole. Mark Bellhorn who hit the foul pole in the yard. Homers in his third straight postseason game and the Red Sox lead at 11 to nine. Can
3: you believe it? The great Joe Castiglione on the call there as he was celebrated tonight. And Shaw's, the official supermarket of the Red Sox network, would like to congratulate Joe Castiglione on the 40 years in the WEI booth. At Shaw's, tender boneless chicken is now on sale. Save big on value pack boneless chicken breasts or thighs while supplies last when you use the digital coupon. So, before we get into the game and what's going to happen at the trading deadline, just a great night for Joe as they honored him before the game. He was out there on the field. He went into the Nesson booth. He was, of course, in our booth, as he ordinarily is for the game. But just a really special night for Joe. I mean, think about that. The guy has been calling Red Sox games for 40 years. The durability, I mean, that is ridiculous to do something for 40 years is absolutely remarkable, and Joe, and I thought Will did a really good job on the broadcast tonight of articulating this. Joe does a really good job, an outstanding job, at nailing the big moments, and see, one of the issues I have with play-by-play guys, some of them, I'm not saying I have issues with play-by-play guys, That, that came out, it sounded wrong, but one thing that irritates me sometimes is when guys step on the moment, right, and they try to do this long winded thing that it's more about them than the game. And what Joe does is he lets it come to him and he tells you what's going on. And that's why he's so good in those big moments. Like obviously he's planning some of the stuff. He knows everything that's going on, but he lets the moment happen and he describes the moment instead of making the moment about himself, because we've seen that happen too many times. And Joe does an outstanding job with all these big moments. He nailed it last year. During the game against Tampa Bay in the postseason, he nails all these big moments. So, it was a really fun night there at the ballpark. And a good night for Joe. And also this. They won. They won a baseball game tonight, 4-2. to Remember, on David Ortiz night, when David Ortiz came back after being inducted into the Hall of Fame on Sunday, the Red Sox lost that game. You could not lose on Joe Castiglione night after losing on David Ortiz night. That just could not happen. All right, so worth you all the way up until midnight. So a couple of things on the table tonight. if you do want to weigh in on the trading deadline, is Heim Bloom going to make a move? Do you blame Heim Bloom that the Red Sox actually didn't win this series because of the first base situation because if you had a real professional first baseman last night, you take three of three from three of four from Cleveland, rather, and you're feeling a lot better about the position you're in right now than going two and two for two here and splitting this series and then the other question is this. What do you actually think Kyle Bloom's going to do? I'm really interested because he's a very difficult guy to read. We knew exactly what Dave Dombrowski was going to do at the trading deadline or what he was going to do before the season. He would legitimately tell us what he was going to do. Yeah, I need somebody to play second base that can hit from the right side so they go get Ann Kinsler. Remember in the offseason before they got Kimbrell, yeah, I need to go get a closer. They trade for Craig Kimbrell. Yeah, I need another starter they trade for at the time. One of the best starters in Major League Baseball and Chris Sale. And they give up Kopech and Mankata, etc. This is what Dave Dombrowski would do. He would actually telegraph what he was going to do. And even when I look at Haim Bloom, even last year, we didn't really have any idea what this guy was going to do at the trading deadline. He goes after a guy in Hansel Robles where... Give the Red Sox credit because they saw something in the guy. Now, he, he, Heim Bloom in terms of Robles this year, the guy completely fell off the cliff. They had to get rid of the guy. He was absolutely atrocious. We all know this. But last year, Hansel Robles was one of your most dependable relievers, if not the most dependable reliever down the stretch. So the Robles thing was a value play because if you look at it, Robles was atrocious in Minnesota. They saw something. They switched up the pitch mix when he came here. He threw more sliders. He threw less change So that was somebody that they identified, hey, if we get him here, we can get him right. Seems like sort of an arrogant approach It worked for him then. It has not worked with them for a lot of other guys. But that was the idea at the trading deadline last year. And I still contend that the reason they got Kyle Schwarber was because he was hurt. They were not going to give up the necessary prospects to get Anthony Rizzo, to get Chris Bryant, and the reason they end up with Schwarber is because Schwarber was not going to cost you that same amount because he was going to miss a couple of weeks. Remember, he was coming back from an injury, so all it cost you was the 18th prospect in your organization. So those were the moves that Heimblum made last year when this team was arguably the best team in baseball at that point in the season. So if he made that type of move last year, when you felt like, okay, this is a World Series caliber team, this team right now is sitting at 50-50, and 50, what type of move is Heim Bloom going to make this year? 617 779, 7937 the number. Before we go any further, let's hear from the manager, Alex Cora.
4: I mean, it's funny because everybody was excited in Seattle, right? The way he pitched. And that day, he it was probably his worst outing. He was all over the place, 50 50. And he still competes, which is great, you know. Uh, like the big skinny guy say today, uh, you got my guy on the mound today, you know, Chris. And it's that mentality, right? And uh, it's good stuff in the zone, in the strike zone. Um, changing speeds, using the curveball. A lot different than early in the season. Early in the season, was forcing him up, bring the balls down in a new role. It wasn't, you know, we, we tried, but it wasn't working, you know. And uh, for him to go down and work with Abby and, and pitch, and then get back to who he is. You know, uh, it's good to see. He's, you know, it's it's a good fastball. He, he's not afraid, not afraid of the strikes, and he was really good for us tonight. He's, um, he's
2: obviously throwing more strikes than he was as a reliever. Um,
5: but you know, also he's kind of changes pitch, pitch mix a little bit, like you know, just usage and stuff like that. I mean, what do you think is better than this thing?
4: Besides throwing strikes, uh, I think you got to mix it up here. That's that's I mean, that's what the big leagues. You know, you have to do it here. You can't just rely on two pitches and try to get away with it. You know, and and he's using everything. Uh, The cutter is good. The four-seamer is good. The curveball, the split. You know, whenever he uses it, it's been you know it's been good. So, like I said before, I've been saying all along, it's good stuff in the zone, and uh, you know, you get him in swing mode. A certain times and then he expands and uh, you know, so, so far very impressive, very impressive. Seems like deepens kind of turn the corner lately. A few adjustments uh, mechanic-wise, he's on time now. Um, you, know, you see 97, 98, 99, um, the misses are close to the strike zone. Uh, it's good to see, um, probably stuff-wise, and we've seen this guy for, for a while, right? Um, that's the best fastball. Uh, the last three or four years, so uh, that was great to see going in that pocket you know get the lefty and go out again and give us three three outs and move on to the next uh, level it seems like that, uh, was considering that, yeah he's doing a lot better feeling better at the plate uh, being able to stay back and uh, taking his walks that's the most important thing when you start when you see him start dominating the strike zone good things are going to happen and that was a huge swing for us uh, we haven't had one of those in a while and uh, it was like we were able to breathe, you know, and, and maneuver the bullpen the way we wanted, and you know, at the end, we ended up winning. Talked about mentality a couple times. Obviously, you need that ability, but how important is that? You know, the willingness to attack your... oh, It is, and, and I think it started... Uh, it's funny, I, I watch a few of his starts back home, you know, when he was pitching in Dominican, we get the games in Puerto Rico, and, and for him to go down there and work and pitch, you know, it, it means it, you know, I want to get better, you know, and he went into... Uh, a league that is it's pretty tough, you know. It's, uh, there's a lot of talented uh, players, uh, you know, um, a foreign country, and uh, you know you don't know Spanish. You got to survive, right? And and grind, kind of like old school stuff, right? Like when people used to go down there and and get better, and that's what he did. He worked with Julio. Julio was uh, the pitching coach for Estrellas, and you know uh, I think it was four or five outings, and he was really good. But just working his craft and trying to you know, get better to to compete here. And uh, I always said, you know, that's a testament of the individual. You know, we don't force people to do that, but the willingness <clears throat> for him to go down there and get better, that I tip my hat to, to him because uh, not too many guys do that.
3: All right, that was the manager, Alex Cora, after the game. If you want to react to anything he said or what you think Haim Bloom's going to be doing at the trading deadline, all of that at the table at 617-779-7937. So a couple of things I want to react to real quickly in terms of what Cora said. So, first of all, let's get to Diekman because Diekman has been one of the worst relievers in the sport. He walks more batters than anybody else. His walk rate entering tonight was over 17%, which is legitimately the worst in Major League Baseball. But here's the thing. Since the All-Star break, the guy's pitched four and a third, and he's walked one guy. And tonight, that was the best that Diek- Diekman, rather has looked since the outing he had against the Yankees on Sunday Night Baseball, which was the third game of the season. He looks a lot different right now. Cora said there was some adjustments mechanically. So, and I actually tweeted this at the time. Did they do anything differently with him? Because what we saw with Pavetta, when Pavetta came out of the All-Star break, he was pitching differently. So Pavetta the other night, it almost looked like he pitched in the stretch. Cora essentially called it a a modified windup. And this is when, even when nobody was on base, so that's what Pavetta was doing the other night. And then Deekman is throwing strikes. So clearly something is different. And Alex Kaur alluded that t- tonight. So if they can get something out of this guy in the second half of the season, it's massive because, quite frankly, he's been a non-entity for this team whatsoever. I give the Red Sox credit for getting him right for this four-and-a-third stretch here. Let's see what he does in his next couple of outings here because the question with Diekman has never been the stuff. The stuff has always been nasty. And he was throwing as hard as he's ever thrown tonight in terms of in a Red Sox uniform. The guy was hitting 98 miles an hour. We know the slider's nasty, but the problem is he never knew where the damn ball was going. That's why he's walking the ballpark. He legitimately had no idea where it was going. And tonight, we saw a guy that was throwing strikes. And this has now been a theme with Diekman where he's actually throwing strikes, which is he's doing that. He's very difficult to hit because the stuff is that nasty. Okay, another thing I wanted to mention that Cora said, he mentioned Crawford and... He went down, he worked on his stuff at AAA, which is certainly the case because the guy was absolutely horrible when he was up here as a reliever, and he has been the Red Sox's most reliable starter. You realize out of the Red Sox last six wins, Cutter Crawford has pitched in three of them and two of the other games they should have won, so Crawford has been really good for this team. And... I actually felt like earlier today you got to win the Crawford game. I mean, we were saying earlier in the season when this team was struggling, hey, you got to win the game that Nate Evaldi pitches. We said that last year as well when this Red Sox team was going through a bad stretch. Hey, you got to win the game when Crawford's on the mound. That's how I feel now because Crawford just goes out there and he pounds the strike zone, and that's been the most important thing with Crawford. You look at entering tonight, so his last 22 and a third innings, he had a 282 ERA. His first nineteen and two thirds, he had a six forty-one ERA. I mean, totally different pitcher. You look at the walk rate, four point seven percent in his last twenty-two and a third entering tonight. And if you look at tonight's numbers in terms of where he finished in terms of the walks, none of them. Now he did hit a guy, but he didn't walk anybody tonight, which is obviously a good thing. Four point seven percent. So that number is gonna go down after tonight. In his previous 19 to two-thirds, he had a 12.9% walk rate. So the guy went from walking nearly 13% of the batters to 4.7. Totally different pitcher, and one of the main reasons for that is he's attacking the strike zone. So Crawford, if you look at his numbers in his last four starts entering tonight, 22 and a third, he was throwing a first-pitch strike north of 65% of the time. Well, in his previous 19 and two-thirds innings, he was throwing a first-pitch strike 49.5% of the time. So this is the biggest difference with Crawford. Obviously, this guy's got conviction in his stuff. It's one of my biggest issues with Seabold when we see that guy pitch, and I know he's coming back from an injury right now. But the biggest issue I have with that guy is he just does not have the confidence in his stuff, so he's not going to pepper and pound the strike zone because he's afraid of what the results could be. And with Crawford, the confidence has never been the issue with this guy. The problem with Crawford had been the control, and it does feel like, and you heard him chatting after the game with Will Fleming and Rob Bradford, it does feel like he's a lot more comfortable in that role as a starter compared to coming out of the bullpen as a reliever. And right now, I mean, how could you take him out of the rotation? He's your best starting pitcher. There's no way around it. That isn't meant to sound like a shot at Crawford. He's been really good. He deserves to be called the best pitcher on the Red Sox right now because that's exactly what he is. I was not impressed with Pavetta's outing the other night, even though the Red Sox won. And he only gave up, what, the one run? I just looked at that. The breaking stuff was not great for Pavetta. Now, the curveball was okay. The slider was rubbish the other night. He gave up a lot of hard contact. And I just felt like Pavetta couldn't put guys away. Remember, all three of Pavetta's walks the other night were when he was ahead 0-2 or 1-2. And that cannot happen going forward. It feels like this guy right now, Crawford on the mound, he's the most confident of this group. And with Evaldi last night... We got into this a little bit, but really the main storyline was the Franchi Cordero situation, so we can rehash some of the Evaldi stuff tonight. Evaldi right now, his problem is clear and simple. It's his velocity. He does not have the velocity on his fastball right now, which is a major issue. And one question you would have to ask if you're one of these teams that's in the market for a starting pitcher, like if the hypothetical is that the Red Sox are going to move on from Evaldi, which it feels like they're going to listen on all offers as it pertains to Nate because they never went to him with an offer in terms of an extension going forward. So if that is the case, you would think that Ivaldi's on the market. The question here, though, is what are you going to get in return because of the fact that Ivaldi has not been good since coming off the I.L.? Now, he got through in that Yankees outing, but the stuff was not good, and the velocity was clearly down in that particular outing for Ivaldi. And you just look at him last night. He did not have his best stuff, and part of the issue with Nate right now is he's pitching backwards way too much. And the reason he's doing that is because he does not have a good fastball. And I just look at it in terms of what Evaldi's been actually doing in terms of the pitch mix. So last night, Evaldi threw 29 splitters, and he only threw 28 fastballs. That's not how Nate Evaldi wants to pitch. That's not how Nate Evaldi ordinarily operates. But the reason he's doing that is because he does not have an effective fastball right now. So if you look at Nate, his last four starts, the velocity has been at 94.5 miles per hour on that fastball. Fastball velocity in his previous 11 starts was 96.8. So when you don't have that powerful fastball that Nate Evaldi has always had, and he had it earlier this season, it's really difficult to pitch that way because you're always pitching backwards. And Nate, last night we saw it, he was not effective whatsoever. Now, he was obviously hurt by the defense behind him, but in his last four starts, he has a 750 ERA. Opponents hitting 345 against him. It's just not the Nate Evaldi we're used to seeing, which does make me sort of wonder what exactly is going to happen with Evaldi at the deadline considering right now, if you're a contender, are you trading for a guy that doesn't look right? He doesn't look healthy right now because he does not have his fastball. It's got to be fascinating to see what Evaldi actually does as, or what Bloom does with Evaldi as we get closer to the trading deadline because it feels like with Nate right now, you just wonder if he's going to get back to the guy that he was earlier in the season because he had all this time to come back, and now this is four consecutive outings if you go back to the IL stint with the velocities down. I just don't know if he's going to get it back this season. All right, 617-779-7937 the number. Brian Barrett taking you up until midnight. What do you think is going to do with the trading deadline? If you want to react to Cutter Crawford's outing, that's on the table as well. And, of course, the Bogarts' home run. Just a huge hit. From Xander Bogarts, this team desperately needed a lift offensively. They were not touching McKenzie through the first four innings. They didn't have a hard hit ball in the game. They just needed that type of blast. I mean, McKenzie was real. That guy's outstanding. He's got absolutely filthy stuff. Really difficult on left-handed hitters because his curveball is absolutely filthy. But he got a cement mixer, did Bogarts, and he hit that way out of the ballpark to make it a 3-1 to game. So a huge hit from the leader of the team. Let's kick it off tonight with Wally. He is in Fall River. Hey, Wally.
6: What's up, Brian? Holy moly, we finally won the game. Raise the flag. <laughs> but as far as, as, far as time blue, I'm not a mind-reader. I don't know what's on But uh, you look at Brian Cashman. What did he give up for Ben Intendi? Two subway tickets and a couple of hot dogs. The uh, same way Matt Copper didn't cost him nothing. So I don't know. I mean, this guy, we know the usual suspects in trade was Bell, uh, all these guys, Chrome, but... Uh, <laughs> what, do you, what do they want from I mean, who has any value? Yeah. Uh, we you know, see, right?
3: Yeah, it's interesting, Wally, because if you look at it, so I I don't see the Red Sox getting in the Josh Bell sweepstakes. I t- no, chatted neither with, do I. No, I, I talked to Buster Only a couple of weeks ago about that, and he said there's no way the Red Sox are winning a bidding war for Josh Bell, and he's going to be... One of the biggest commodities as we get closer to the trading deadline. C.J. Krohn, Bob Nightingale told me they're not trading him because they want to bring him back next year. He still has an extra year on the contract. So then you can look at a guy like Christian Walker, who's under club control for a couple more years after this. I just wonder this, Wally. So now that we're at this point and the first base situation has been so bad for so long, is Bloom just at the point where he says, I'm just going to wait for Cassis? Because if I get Krohn, say let's say hypothetically the Rockies do put Krohn in the market, which... We'll see if they do that. They, it seem, they're like not active at the deadline. They weren't last year. I'm wondering if it'll change this year, new GM and all that. But my overwhelming point with that is just, do you want a guy that has a contract next year that's a first baseman if Cassis is going to be the everyday first baseman? Same thing with Walker. Now, Walker's the best defensive first baseman in baseball by the metrics, but I just don't know if they're going to want one of those guys with an extra year in the contract because the plan should be that Cassis is the everyday first baseman next year.
6: But uh, if you're two games out of the third wild card in about four days, Brian, it you, you just wonder. I mean, you got to jump over a lot of teams, but it still can be done. But uh, this, is, you can get an outfielder, cheap, maybe Charlie Blackman or somebody else, you know, from the Rockies. But uh, I don't know; it's a tricky situation. Like I said, he's just, you know, he just keeps—he's just a mystery man. You, you can't read him like these other GMs, with whom I'm sure will make a ton of moves.
3: Yeah, I mean, Wally, it's totally different than most other GMs, and I appreciate the call, my friend. His line's open if you want to grab it at 617-779-7937. Because with Cashman, you knew exactly what he was going to do. They needed a left-handed hitter because Gallo's been absolutely horrible for them. And Ben Benintendi, he doesn't need to hit for power in that lineup because they have Giancarlo Stanton, they have Aaron Judge, they have enough thump in that lineup. Glaber Torres hits for power. They needed somebody they can hit for average. Benintendi came into tonight at 321. His average dropped, of course, because he was 0 for 4 tonight. He actually struck out. He doesn't strike out much. So you knew that they were going after Benintendi for weeks. You know that the Yankees are in the market for a starting pitcher. Now, they won't put their number one prospect in a deal for Luis Castillo. That's sort of their breaking point right now. But you know they're in the market for any of these starting pitchers that are going to be out there as well. You know exactly what their needs are, and you know they're going to address them. With Hein Bloom last year, we knew they needed a bullpen arm. And they kind of addressed it with Austin Davis and Hansel Robles. Ultimately, it worked out, but you didn't look at those guys as premium relievers or anything along those lines, and you felt like they needed a first baseman. They never really did that. They just brought in Schwarber and had him play first. All right, so after the game, Xander Bogarts was speaking to the media as we get closer to the trading deadline, and he was asked about the possibility of getting traded, and here was his response. I think I start playing better after that, right?
7: Uh, I mean, it's, it's a little... I want to say relief is a, is a good word, but I mean, it's obviously more, more more relaxing, you know, and going out there and it's not like you want to win every game on your own. I mean, we're, we're a whole team. Everyone uh, can win the game, but I just feel like it, it, it makes you more freer, you know, and pretty much this is my first time really dealing with it. Uh, I know I had a couple years ago in the 2020 season, I mean, Covid on its own was a distraction to that. So this is actually my first time really, really dealing with this. So it's been it's been up and down, but it's been it's been good. You been told that personally, or uh yeah, I don't know if I should say that, but I, know, I hope I don't get in trouble. But yeah, much better like that, you know. And as I said, communication, I mean, it's, it's always huge in in everything in life. So. If you get that type of feedback, it's, it's beneficial, I would say. So
3: Okay, so that's interesting. So Heimblum said the other day, we're not trading Xander Bogarts. Sam Kennedy said, we're not trading Xander Bogarts. And Bogarts himself said he's been told he's not getting traded. So I do wonder this, just from a baseball perspective, is this the right move for the Red Sox? They sit here at 50-50. and 50. Now, You know my stance on Bogarts. I want him to be signed here long-term, and I want him to be a member of the Boston Red Sox for a bunch of reasons that I can get into in greater detail as we go on tonight. But is this the right baseball move from Heimblum in the front office? Because you have to put yourself in Heimblum's shoes when you think about this. So we know what the offer was prior to the season, right, where it was just one extra year at $30 million. So essentially that contract would pay Xander Bogarts Less money on an annual average basis than Trevor Story. Okay, so that type of offer makes you think that Bogarts, or excuse me, that Bloom doesn't want Bogarts here. There's no way around it, right? That's the logical conclusion that we would all draw by that type of offer made to Xander Bogarts. Okay, so if that's the case, it makes me believe that Bloom doesn't want to sign Xander Bogarts long-term. No matter what the organization says, they don't want him here long-term. They don't... They look at maybe some of the defensive metrics, and he's an improved defender this year. There's no way around it. His defensive metrics, those numbers, defensive runs saved, all that, way better than they were a year ago. But if the idea is that they don't want to keep him here long term, and Chaim Blum has said that he doesn't want to do anything that sacrifices the future, right? He wants this to be sort of a sustainable winner, although I'd say... Hi, yeah uh, you, you were second place last year, now you're in last place. So this whole idea, oh, the Red Sox, they don't want to go from first to last anymore. Well, you were second last year, and now you're last. So you rather go from second to last. But anyway, I digress. So my point being, though, if you're not going to sign Bogarts long term, isn't the best thing to do, in Heim Bloom's eyes, from an organizational standpoint, from just a pure baseball standpoint, isn't the best thing to do to try to move Bogarts? Because if he's just going to walk... Walk at the end of the season, he's going to opt out of his contract. You get nothing for him. You get compensatory picks. You get a draft pick. So I, I don't understand why, from a baseball perspective, if you're not going to get a deal done with Bogarts, why wouldn't you be putting him on the trading block if you're Bloom, Now, I would just rather them go to Bogarts right now and make an offer, make a legitimate offer, and see, see if he signs it, and see if he's willing to play ball. He basically backed down from his stance that he didn't want to negotiate his contract during the season, so if that's the case, why wouldn't you, if you want him here, because you're not trading him. So if you really want him here, go make him an offer right now. 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett taking you up until midnight. Okay, so after hearing that from Xander Bogarts, what do you think the Red Sox should do with him at the trading deadline? He says he's been told he's not getting traded. Is that the right baseball move? And I want to get to a couple of reasons where I think the Red Sox should keep Bogarts here long term. We'll get to it next here on EEI. Call
6: from mom. Answer it
0: At the belt. The 2-2. Swing. There's a fly ball to the left field. High and deep. Back by the wall. It is off the Canadian side. But hits third. He's being waved home. Here comes the throw. It's too late and wide, and the Red Sox win it. A walk-off. Wall ball double by Mike Napoli is being mobbed at the mound. The Red Sox beat Tampa Bay 3-2 in the last of the ninth inning. Ace is
3: All right, that's the great Joe Castiglione. We are honoring Joe Castiglione tonight. We'll continue to do that until midnight. Joe Castiglione, 40 years in the booth. Unbelievable. 40 years in the booth. Think about that. Consistency. Excellence. Joe Castiglione, when you hear consistency, you hear excellence. You think of one man. You think of Joe Castiglione. That's who you think of. Great night tonight. The Red Sox, of course, win for Joe Castiglione. They couldn't win for David Ortiz. They did for Joe, though. I did want to mention this real briefly with Xander. I would be offering him a seven-year, $189 million contract. So right now, he opts out of the contract. You take care of 23, 24, 25, 26. That's what he's under contract for. My deal would be seven for 89. That's the deal I would offer Xander Bogarts. And here's the thing. It would be a situation, too, where Bogarts eventually can move positions. Now, I would even try to give him a five-year deal. I just don't think he's going to sign a five-year deal. So that's why I would go to seven if I need to because I think you can play him – At third base, eventually, depending on what the situation is with Rafael Devers, what position he's going to play long-term. But, of course, Bogarts can always play second base as well. And remember, once you have the guy here, you can figure out the rest later. But if you aren't going to actually go to Bogarts now and make him a legitimate offer, I don't understand why the Red Sox told Bogarts or have decided he's not getting traded. A five-year deal would be perfect for me. I just don't think he's going to accept that because I think he's going to look at the market and say, I can get five years from somebody. Now, I don't think the market's going to be as robust as maybe Scott Boris and Xander think it's going to be. But if the Red Sox are offering him a five-year contract, they're probably not going to get a deal done, just adding two extra years to that. Six would be great, too. So if I if Xander and Boris counter with seven, and I go for five and I get there somewhere in the six range at $27 per, I would do that for Bogart's. The most I'd be willing to go is seven, and that's a little bit too much for me, but that's the most I'd be willing to go to get to that 189. And I don't believe that it's going to cost you like $200 million to get to Bogarts. I think you can get it done for something similar to that. So if you go by my structure with the $27 million, because that is more than stories make it, of course, by what, $4 million? If you go to him with, what, six for, say, 162. That's probably where I'd live at, 6 for 162. I could go for 7 for 189, but 6 for 162 makes sense to me. And figure out the rest later in terms of the positions, and you work all that out down the road. Once the player is under contract, you can get that done. But the other thing I just want to mention real briefly, as it pertains to Xander and, in particular, his future with the organization, if you aren't going to go to him and try to get a deal done prior to the offseason— I don't understand why they're not open to moving him. Because from a baseball perspective, if you're not going to sign him long-term, what's the point of keeping him on the team? Just from, is that all about PR? Just so people go to the ballpark at the end of the season and they can watch Xander Bogarts and they don't want to trade him? That's what it feels like to me. Six one seven 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 nine seven ninety three seven the number. Let's get to, although I will say this. They would have been better off just keeping Mookie. <laughs> I mean, really, I'm not kidding. Based on what the return was, Verdugo, Downs, and Connor Wong, you should have just seen what you had in 2020, and maybe eventually he changed his mind and stays with the team. I mean, may I would have gone that way if that's what the return was going to be. I mean, come on. Let's get to Tyler. He's in Littleton. What's up, Tyler?
2: Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my call because I got something on my heart tonight about Joe Stiglione, and I uh, got
3: to get it out. Awesome. Um, they
2: say – they say that uh, the only constant in life is change. So I've always been grateful for the things in my life that don't change. Now I'm in my 30s, so I've never lived in a world where Joe wasn't the definitive voice of Red Sox baseball. And you know, when I when I hear him on the call, it, it takes me back to being a little kid and like Saturdays when. My dad would insist that we had to do yard work and chores and run to the hardware store and all that, but we had the little, uh, the little old antenna radio, and we'd put it out and listen to the game. And even years later when I was living out of state and, uh, and I could I could get a Red Sox game on the radio and, and right. hear Joe's voice and kind of feel like home, and and uh, the, the you said earlier the commitment, the, the reliability and I'm sure a, a ton of hard work that he's put in, that's made him something that is more than just a guy calling radio games. Like he, you know, he's he's become a part of, I know I'm not the only one. I know there's thousands and thousands of us out there, but he's become a part of our lives. And so I'm glad that they had such a great night for him uh, because he deserves it, and and I just you know I'm I'm glad it was such a good night for him because he he ought to know that that he's pretty important to uh, a lot of us out here.
3: Yeah, you're right about that, Tyler. Spot on. I appreciate the call, my friend, and I'm sure Joe, if he's not partying yet, I'm sure he's listening right now. So I'm sure he would appreciate that and. It was a huge night for Joe, and well said by Tyler. (laughs) Think about it. All the big calls, all the World Series, all the ALCS wins, the Benintendi catch, although I know Benintendi, that's a soft subject right now. He was 0 for 4. He struck out once. But all the big calls that this organization has had, Joe has been there for him. Let's get to Paulie's in Westfield. Hey, Paul.
5: Well, finally, the Red Sox won a game. And the sports poet Paul Christ has come back to the no other compare it. It's time to throw down with Professor
3: Barris. How are you, bud? <laughs> I'm doing well. I haven't heard from you in a while. Yes,
5: yeah, sir. Sure. I've been. I, I ironically, I left for a while, and of course, the Red Sox going on a losing streak, so I didn't have much to say, anyways. If I what do you mean here, you
3: left? You're off the
5: after, grid. Yes, yeah, sir. Sure. I uh, I was getting up real early because of the heat wave. I'm finishing my second floor in my house so I can rent it. And, I was just asleep by the time you were on the air,
3: basically. I, gotcha.
5: hey, I got Hey, um, I have a question for you. Uh, I have a couple quick comments. I don't think Hyam Bloom's going to do anything. We should keep the players we have, work with what we have. Uh, I think it's hard to just say that J.D. goes from one of the best hitters to he can't hit the ocean from the dock. There's a reason. We know, he had back spasms. Yeah, I couldn't hurt. train, right? He yeah, he was hurt. Oh, okay, so uh, we have the elements we just need to bring back the talent and the performance that we used to have. Now, here's my question for you, bud. You have what's called unarbitrated judiciousness. You're our brain box. What you said about Pavetta pitching, although you only gave one run, you had a lot of hard contact. Well, not, that's not that impressive. And you're exactly right. So my question to you is this um, with Dombrowski, we had a reputation of not paying the players that deserve it and letting them go and paying big bucks to newcomers. You Whoa, no, Bloom that's not true. Night.
3: That's not true. You, you think we ha- there was a perception with Dombrowski with that?
5: No, no. I'm sorry. Bloom, Dombrowski did a good job. Uh, that, that was a brain fire. I want to talk What you. I want to talk. I have a question for you about what you said about Bloom the other night. Yeah. You accurately ripped Bloom for the decisions he's made and how it's turned out. Uh, however, being fair and objective, as we know you are, looking back in hindsight isn't a philosophy or a strategy we have the advantage of looking back so my question to you is and i'll hang up and let you hear your answers when he did those decisions which did not turn out to be well when he did them obviously he thought he was doing the right thing for the team and it didn't work out but at the time he made those decisions paul hold on paul hold on
3: paul hold on i'm confused which decisions are you referencing the, the way
5: he, the way you mentioned, he doesn't hasn't brought us the elements we need to put together a winning team, like the pitching, for example. Oh, you mean like uh, a first baseman
3: reliever? Yes,
5: sir. Yes, sir.
3: And then yeah, I just think he half-assed it, Paul. And I appreciate the call, my friend. I believe he half asked it. I and if their calculation was that Bobby Dalback was going to be able to play eighty to eighty-five percent of the games at first base until Cassis was ready, that was a miscalculation. He had a good month of August, pretty good month of September, but you couldn't bank on that. And the fact that Travis Shaw was your alternate from the left side, that's a joke. You should have found a better platoon option than Travis Shaw. I still don't understand why that was the plan entering the season. And because of that, you had to play Franchi Cordero at first base. So you screwed that up from the beginning as it pertains to first base. That was my issue with the first base situation, is you can't just treat it like it's not a position, and the Red Sox have done that for years now. Ever since Bloom took over, I gave you the numbers last night in terms of the defensive run saved. 22 defensive runs saved, negative. Negative 22 over the past two seasons. The next closest team is minus 13. That's how bad the Red Sox are defensively at first base. And then with the bullpen situation, and look, Deekman's throwing the ball way better since the All-Star break. But my issue with Bloom as it comes to relievers, and this is true for a lot of different things, and I can get into a whole thing about it, but... Anyway, my point about relievers is, is he just loves sliders. Look at all the guys that he goes after. They all have sliders. Davis, especially Deekman, That's why he likes Deekman. Diekman's slider has some of the most horizontal break in the entire sport. The problem is, for the majority of the season, the guy couldn't find the white thing that he was supposed to throw the ball over. I mean, that's kind of an issue. So that's my issue with him. Like, Deekman was coming off a bad year. And the reason they sign him is they feel like, okay, we get him here. He's got a slider. We get him right. And I just feel like sometimes it's okay to pay for proven commodities. That's why, to me, the Colin McHugh thing was so perplexing. Why weren't they more into Colin McHugh, especially considering we know Bloom likes him? He got him two years ago, and then Colin McHugh opted out because of the COVID situation. That's my issue with Bloom. He just doesn't pay known commodities, and I don't know why. 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett taking you all the way up until midnight. So, Xander Bogart says he will not be traded at the deadline. He has been told this. Is it the right move from the organization? And does this mean that an extension is on the way? We'll get to it next here on EI.
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours.